So, uh, Mac, thank you for taking the uh, time to come and uh, chat with me about uh, this subject. It's a, it's a hard subject. It's hard for um, people that have actual experiences like you and I, and it's, and I'm certain it's one of those things that, that American society doesn't deal with in terms of suicide and the non-veteran population. You know, we're, we're supposed to just not look in that direction, but had, had a few specific points that I wanted to chat with you about. Um, this is a quote of yours from, I think it was towards the end of the long email that you sent me from yesterday. It's a quote. Yeah. As an aside, one of the things I have struggled with the most in this advocacy over the last decade has been getting people to understand the difference between active component, military, and veterans. As you know, while suicide rates among active duty service members are high, the rate of suicide among veterans is astronomical. Um, I have thoughts as to why you see this discrepancy in suicide rates. Um, Matt, could you please, you know, uh, elaborate, elaborate on that for us? Uh, what what should we be seeing in the in looking at that connection, and especially in terms of making sure that the data is correct between those two groups, veterans and active duty? Well, one one thing, and, and thanks, man, for for having me on here. It's it's great to be back on with you guys, and thanks for the work you're doing, and particularly, you know, highlighting uh, this issue. Um, you know, one of the uh, I think one of the first things is just how easily people outside uh, the veteran and military community uh, confuse the two demographics, confuse active duty, confuse veterans, and then of course, then you have a whole other. A demographic where you have uh, reserve and national guard as well. Um, you know, it, it, you see this quite often. I got into an argument with uh, Vanity Fair and Sebastian Younger about seven years or so ago about this very thing. And their response to me, as I was saying, as I was writing to them saying, look, your information on veteran suicides is incorrect, was to send me data about active duty suicides. Right. I mean, just to confuse the two, you know, um, I, I think a lot of your audience, of course, is uh, a, a military or veteran. And uh, I think they're, they're, they understand the distinction quite well. But I think for the general public, that distinction is not clear. And when it comes to suicides, understanding um, how uh, veterans are impacted so severely by suicides, I think a lot of us in the military understand because you're no longer in the bubble, so to speak, you're no longer on the team, you know, you're out on your own. I mean, so all that support that comes from being in a unit, from having, you know, your brothers and sisters in uniform, right? I mean, and it's, and it's not the support that comes from uh, your battalion medical officer or no. your company commander or your first sergeant, right? Or the chaplain. It's from the people, you know, your buddies, the people on your left and right, the, the, the guy or gal, uh, you know, you, you bunk with, um, you know, so that that type of understanding is lost. I and mean, then the idea experience so many of us have, you know, of leaving the military and then, OK, I'm not in that bubble any longer. And, and I don't mean to use that term bubble pejoratively, you know, just probably the easiest thing that's coming to mind right now in terms of describe it. Right. So I, I think it's that difference um that you know okay this can explain why you see a lot more veteran suicides than you do active duty suicides um you know in terms of the active duty rate yes the active duty rate for suicide for years and we have to remember though it wasn't until the year 2000 
that the Department of Defense actually started collecting data in a, um, a, 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 a cogent and combined manner across all services. It wasn't until the year 2000 they started doing that or 2001. Before that, it was up to the services how they collected the data. So you had discrepancies. It wasn't uniform. And so we've only had data on active duty suicides, really good data that we can utilize, I think, uh, you know, in a fair manner, in a consistent manner for the last 20, 22 years. Veterans is even worse. It wasn't until around 2010 that the Veterans Administration actually went under when uh, Eric Shinseki, the former Army Chief of Staff, was, was director of the VA. Well, he actually said, this is nonsense. This is crazy. We're, we're, we're collecting veteran suicide data from a handful of states and extrapolating it for all 50. So it's not until around 2010 or so that the VA actually starts collecting suicide data from all 50 states. So our knowledge on veteran suicide, active duty suicide, reserve suicide is very limited in terms of being able to look back historically and say, this is what it was like. But we, so we look at what the understanding on active duty suicides was that up until around 2006, 2007, height of the Iraq war, uh, active, duty, active duty suicides always lower than the general population. Uh, around that time of, of, of 07, 08 or so, active duty suicides start to become comparable. And now we're at a point where active duty suicides are higher than the general population. And I have some thoughts on to why that is. And and veterans, though, it's always been clear, or oh, even when the data wasn't being collected, that suicides were much greater. You know that that you know. I mean, we have we have we have uh, information going back to the Romans and Greeks about this, right? I mean, we know uh, historically uh, after the Civil War that uh, potentially anywhere from 50 to 100% as many people died, uh, veterans died after the war as during the war because of their experiences in the war, they dying because of, uh, you know, overdose, because of alcoholism, because of suicide, because of exposure, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, if you go back to the sources we have from uh, the second half of the 19th century, contemporary sources, you will find that information. You will find in narratives, you know, a, a typical narrative about any town, any city in the U.S. in the second half of the 19th century includes these veterans killing themselves through overdose, through drinking, through dying on the streets of exposure. I mean, that is that is a common thing. Uh, World War One, World War Two, we have the same type of information, even though it wasn't being captured by uh, the U.S. government, you know, collated, put into nice rows and everything. We know this. Look, we know that during the, the, the World War Two, uh, the U.S. Army was institutionalizing between 300 and 400,000 men every year during World War Two. I mean, and then remember, PTSD is not a recognized diagnosis until 1980 in the United States. I mean, so, I mean, the amount of, of, of uh, uh, as we would call it now, invisible wounds that were occurring in these wars was just massive. And it went unacknowledged, you know. Um, so, you know, this has always existed. We know about the, the veteran suicides. Vietnam veterans will tell you this, of course. World War II veterans, uh, as many as we have less, will, will tell you this. So, um, but this comparison, this, this uh, um, not really understanding the difference between the two and uh, assuming one is equal to the other is just not there. 
you know, and then as well too, uh, I think when you get into the issues of you look at veterans and with the data we have and with the dozens of studies we have now, I mean, there are dozens of studies. People can go to uh, the National Institute of Health's uh, PubMed directory. You can go there and just look this up yourself, type in suicide and combat. And you will find dozens of studies that show that there is a direct connection between suicide and combat. Um, you know, but within the active duty ranks, and this is, I think, where that Brown report got it wrong, was they were conflating everything. They weren't separating the veterans from the active duty. And so they said something in the report about how um, uh, the uh, uh, soldiers who had not deployed had higher rates of of uh, suicide than soldiers who had deployed, which is true for active duty, but not for veterans. And I think this is the point that you wanted me to address by conflating that it makes it sound as if that the problem in veteran suicide is not combat, but something else. And, you know, I mean, so that that's the very real issue that, um, comes up in this Brown University report is I think this unfamiliarity that then you know translates into a garbled message about active duty suicide and veteran suicide. And I can't remember how much they've really even gotten to the issue of guard and reserves because that's a, another demographic. But you know, I mean, I, I think you can explain the um, active duty suicide rates. You know, including the fact that yes, among active duty service members. Uh, there are uh, uh, higher rates of suicide among those who have not deployed than who have deployed. But again, when you look at the veteran suicide data, it's completely the opposite. And the veteran suicide rate is much, much higher uh, than the civilian population. I mean, much, much higher than the active duty population. Uh, and among veterans, um, the rate of suicide among those who have deployed is higher than those among uh, those who have not deployed, it's, that's higher than the general population for veterans. And then among veterans that have seen combat, it is much higher than the rate of suicide among veterans who had deployed, right? So there is a hierarchy, if you will, uh, in terms of the risk of suicide in our veteran community based upon whether or not they have deployed and then based upon, again, whether or not they have experienced combat. And uh, excuse, I, I apologize for my dogs, everyone. It's, it's uh, as I was saying uh, uh, before, it, they haven't gotten a walk today and it's about an hour and a half before dinner. So the panic is setting in. So I'm sorry for any uh, canine interruptions. Um, I want to I want to hone in on something specific that you had included in your um, dialogue with uh, the Coastal War people. And you talked about how, and this was specific to a specific Marine battalion, but I think there's there's larger questions there. Talking about how some of the Marines that you had served with had been hit by IEDs um, in excess of ten times. Mm -hmm. That that that, and we're, and you said specifically that we're not talking about near misses. We're talking about actively hit that person's truck and probably gave them a TBI or some other injury. Um, and that the, the scheme of deployments as the DOD had it set up through Iraqi freedom, through, through going to Afghanistan, that so many repeat senders, so many times that guys would have to go back and back 
and that you mentioned, you know, like like Marine tours uh, at that point were were seven months. I my second tour, I was with a group of Marines who had been moved to nine months mm -hmm. uh, for their length when the Army was on fifteen month deployments. But yeah. um, can you can you elaborate a little bit on um, what you see when you read things like that about those about those Marines about the Marines you served with um, in terms of uh whether or not that their damage is um how it how it makes sense to the war on terror how would you how would you connect those things together yeah i mean with the so people understand um you know i i had command of a combat engineer company in ambar province in 0607 and uh we did route clearance and that's why i had some kids that were hit 10 times you know, when we came home, we went back to 29 Palms in the spring of 2007. Um, and uh, the hospital at 29 Palms did not have a TBI clinic. It didn't have any doctors who could do TBI. Um, they sent up uh, uh, when the, you know, as we got back, as the regiment came back and everything, they from from the Camp Pendleton Hospital, they sent up like a, a TBI team. And um, that there was no screening. There was nothing to tell us. My first sergeant and I were told, hey, send the Marines and sailors that you think need to see the TBI doctors, right? So Captain Ho and First Sergeant Miller get to make this medical decision yep. on our guys, right? You know, I mean, like, that's the, that's the reality of how we were handling TBIs in 2007. Um, you know, and, and just as everyone, everyone was suspect, we came up with, all right, if you've been blown up five times or more, you gotta go see the doc, you know I mean? Like, and of course, what happens when you send those Marines and sailors to, to, to see the, the, the TBI team, they say, how are you doing today? And those young men say doing great. Okay. Terrific. Let us know if that changes, you know, and, and that's, I think for people who are not familiar with it, and I'm sure you have the same experiences right the same type of no one asked us about this no one checked us out no one told us what we were supposed to know about this and i understand a lot of it was not known what we're learning about how the brain reacts to uh trauma particularly explosive related explosive blasts um you know we didn't have that knowledge in 07 but there also too was uh basically kind of a cavalier attitude towards it i think um so i mean we do know though that uh tbis are linked to suicide and we do know that um you know and this number is dated uh but as of several years ago the va was reporting that as many as 20 percent of iraq and afghan veterans had suffered tbis and that, you know, is consistent with the data we have on the high rate of exposure to combat by Iraq and Afghan veterans. I mean, if you look at, at uh, surveys and studies done by the Department of Defense, the VA, by the RAND Corporation and others, you'll, you'll see that uh, above 50 percent of men and women deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan experience combat. You know, I mean, uh, so of course some greater depths than others, but more than 50%. That's the highest rate of combat exposure for any generation of American service members. Higher than World War I, higher than World War II. Um, you know, we don't have the data, I don't think, for the Civil War or anything like that, or Spanish-American War. But, but, you know, so like this is a really uh, important uh, aspect 
of service member and, and veterans health that, you know, was just not acknowledged. And, and so, as you all know, uh, you know, you take that 20%, you multiply it times 2.7 or 2.7 million or whatever number, however many of us were over there, you get 500,000. You know, that's a lot of families that are dealing with this as you were discussing this earlier, right? You know, that's a lot of families that are dealing with the physical disability, the, the mental uh, health aspects of it, the emotional ups and downs, the, the spiritual consequences, you know, and not just families, but it's friends, coworkers, uh, classmates, uh, you know, I mean, so you look at that and you think of the, the proverbial pebble, uh, pebble uh, excuse me, proverbial pebble thrown into the pond, right? And that ripple that goes out and you can understand the uh, impact that TBIs have had on communities in this country. And that is a, a really great aspect and great not as in good, but great as in massive uh, aspect of the war on terror that it's damaged so many communities. Um, you know, I mean, the same with the suicides, you know, the, 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 uh, people who, who, uh, the suicide prevention people in this country, uh, they'll tell you that every suicide, uh, impacts about 130 people directly. You know, I mean, so you think about that when you start looking at these numbers, you know, and you start understanding how prevalent it is, and then you, you understand the impact of that, right? Again, the pebble into the pond and the, 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 the ripple that goes out and how many people are, are taken over and encompassed by that. Very similar, very similar to what has occurred with uh, the opioid epidemic, right? You know, last year, 100,000 people dead from overdose in this country. Um, the impact that that has on communities. I mean, it's just really, really uh, left a, a mark and is, is just really damaging and really, you know, uh, to a, a level of heartbreak, uh, anger, grief, and, you know, dysfunction that has really hurting so many towns and cities in this country. 